Welcome into another edition of the DuckTerritory.com podcast, recapping the Oregon-Washington game. Woo, Woo what a game. Uh, we've got myself, Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Kevin Wade, Alec Aaron. How's it going? On this podcast, Eric, you and I were talking about it on the way back, up the ramp from press conference interviews. Oregon wins 30-27, to overtime victory, walk-off game against a rival, against a top-10 opponent. This might go down as one of the best Otzing football games or Oregon football games in general that I've I've covered for sure. Uh, seen as a person watching Oregon football in the last twenty years. Yeah. Thrilling, I thrilling mean, victory. It's really hard to discount that. Obviously, you know the, we're creatures of the moment, and we're probably missing some stuff that happened four or five years ago. But certainly, since 2014, it's hard to think of a game that is even remotely close to what this game was. Oregon goes out and beats a really, really good team in overtime in thrilling fashion with a cool redemption piece, which I wrote about on the site. You can go check it out with C.J. Verdell, who last time he was on Otson fumbled and kind of gave the game away against Stanford. And our Cristobal, a little redemption, he was the one who called, you know, determined that they wanted to run it rather than possibly taking a knee to set up a punt to win the game against Stanford. They both kind of, you know, come together here and make a decision to, to run it on third and six when I think, you know, it's possible they could have tried to throw the ball in there and then things get iffy. But Verdell takes it off the right side and, and runs in for a touchdown. The place goes absolutely nuts. And, man, being on the field post game there, I think Alec and I were the two who were down there. You guys were up in the box. It was absolutely electric. It, you know, I tweeted it out. This is this is why people love college football because there was so much excitement, not only from the players but also the fans who, who rushed the field pretty much immediately. It was, it was wild in the press box. As soon as that touchdown, as soon as the hole opened up, things started shaking in the press box. Yep. It was so loud. I think I had a water bottle fall over next to me. It was just that electric, that wild. And uh, it, it was, thinking back to what you guys were saying, it's crazy to see that Oregon actually won an overtime game. I mean, you think, yeah. of, the, you think of the overtime games last, last week or last two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Against Stanford, um, to what twenenty twelve against uh, there's been a lot that haven't gone two thousand eleven <laughs> versus USC. I don't know if that was overtime, but there's been a lot of it's... close games that haven't gone Oregon's way. The only one that in recent ten year memory that comes away is that that the Civil War, but that was an Oregon team that at that point was just playing for nothing. This team's still playing for a lot. The last a overtime lot. win uh, for Oregon came in triple overtime, October 29th, two thousand fifteen. Yes, on the, road, <laughs> on the road at Arizona State. And if you're unfamiliar with that one, that's where Arizona, Oregon had the uh, um, the white towels kind of, and drapes, curtains, whatever you want to describe them as, yeah, disguising right. their oh, yeah. their play calls because they accused Todd Graham of, of stealing signs and, and whatnot. But uh, monumental win for Oregon. It's uh, the first time since 2014 that they've gone back-to-back games beating a ranked opponent. Uh, obviously, these opponents are a little bit different from that time when Oregon did it against Arizona in the Pac-12 championship and then uh, Florida State. But they did they did beat Cal two weeks ago, and then they went into a bye and then and came in here and uh, won this one over a top-10 team. Uh, I, I think looking at this game, and you, Alec, you got a really, really good vantage point uh, for the game-winning touchdown. We've got the video up on the site uh, right now already. What... Were you surprised they ran the ball in third and six? I, I thought they were going to leave it to Herbert. I, I really thought that they were going to put it in Justin Herbert's hands to try and go win the game. 
I'm glad they didn't, though, because I think Washington, their red zone defense has been fantastic on the year, and that's in most part due to the secondary. They've only allowed, I think, three touchdowns, three touchdown passes on the season up to this game. You know, and, and going kind of along that same line about the decision there to, to run it, like that that kind of, I think that identifies and kind of shows what Cristobal wants to do. We, we, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. I think Shane Lemieux said it after the game that this is what the team wants to be. They, you know, they want to find an opportunity to show that they can just pound teams on the ground, and, and they did it. It was a pretty easy touchdown for, for, for C.J. Honest. Maybe his easiest of the season, and he really just had a huge hole off the right side. Right. Well, a lot of credit to the offensive line for opening that up. When you think about it, I mean, like, that was a moment that Coach Cristobal and Coach Arroyo outcoached Jimmy Lake and Chris Peterson. I would agree with me. They've been going. I mean, Jimmy Lake has been going off on Twitter uh, for talking about come to UW to get uh, developed, not just recruited. And this is this was the Oregon coaches just saying, "Hey, we've got a play call." I mean, Cristobal sprinting down the sideline to call that timeout. Yeah, the history behind that is, or the story behind that is, is that Oregon was prepared to throw the football on third and six at the third and goal from the six, uh, and. As Kevin said, Mario Cristobal literally sprinted down the sideline, got the timeout just before the ball was snapped. Uh, afterwards, he said the reason they did that was because they saw that UW was in a defense where they were going to have eight guys drop into coverage and they were playing in the red teams. zone. Yeah, playing in the red zone, uh, throwing against a team that's going to have eight guys in the end zone. That's I mean, that's no man's land for, sure. for any quarterback, no matter how good you are. Uh, Justin Herbert included. You know, the probabilities of scoring is very, very low. Uh, so Oregon calls a play. And then afterwards we hear from Crystal Ball that they were playing to win. It didn't matter if they got six yards for the score or if they got four yards or no yards. They were going to go for the, the win at home on fourth down if that play ever had to transpire. I think you absolutely love hearing somebody say that, especially when it's your head coach, that they're playing to win. Obviously, they played to win against Stanford, and it kind of bit them in the butt. And last week, or a couple weeks against Cal, they played a little bit more conservatively. And obviously, it didn't impact the final outcome, but there were some maybe a little closer moments than it should have been. But you absolutely have to love that. I, I, again, I, th- I think the play call was great, and and like Chris Paul said, he kind of they knew what was com- they knew what the situation yep. was. It was basically going to be Verdell against a safety in the hole, and if he beat him, he was going to score based upon what. Well, Washington was showing defensively. They had two double teams. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they were going to have the advantage. It was going to come down to basically Burdell winning a one-on-one matchup, and he did. And it wasn't even really much of a one-on-one matchup. He basically just sprinted right into the end zone, and, and then madness ensued. This was a, a huge win here. We should mention for the Pac-12 North title, uh, you know, Oregon came in in a tough spot after losing to Stanford. But they right now, they don't quite control their own destiny. But if they win out, I think it's pretty clear they're going to win the division. Obviously, that's asking a lot. But they're now tied with... Stanford, uh, Washington State, and Washington with one loss atop the Pac-12 North. California looks like it's going to lose their third straight game. They're down 37 to seven as we speak to UCLA. But the, the kind of the conference hierarchy is sort of making uh, becoming clear right now. And, and Oregon is right now in a position where they rattle off a bunch of wins here. I think the division is for their taking, and they, this is a must-win for that. Um, but you know, if you just look at the big picture, this is a huge win for this team staying alive for the division. Speaking of. Um, the Ducks going for on on fourth down like they they plan to. Um, you talk about this team's offensive identity. They went for it three times on third down, got all three fourth, of them. Fourth, sorry, fourth yeah. down, got all three of them. So it just speaks to the play calling. Knowing, I, I think that kind of tells you what this team has told you all along. We'll give you the plays. Come and stop us. That's something that Cristobal said before the season. Um, he called them a downhill operation today after after the game of kind of. 
asking, who's asked the question kind of about why Oregon was so successful on third down and why they were so committed to the run game uh, today. And I think that makes a lot of sense going in. I think we talked about it on the podcast, Eric, and we've talked about it on the site, all four of us, that I don't necessarily think we were expecting Oregon to throw the ball 40 times, uh, 50 times in this football game and rely just on Justin Herbert's arm just because out of respect to UW secondary and and at the same time playing to Oregon's strengths is up front, the offensive line. And I think defensively that was probably UW's weakest link, the D-line. Well, 100%. And you saw that. I mean, that, that kind of transpired. What we talked about kind of took place here. Oregon – 202 yards passing, that's that's okay. You know, Herbert was 18 for 32. That's not his best performance. But you really saw this team win in the trenches with Burdell and Travis Dye having a ton of success running the football. As we're mentioning, Tony Brooks-James, who we believe was healthy for this game all week, we talked about being 100%, uh, did not, not have a carry. I don't think he had a play from scrimmage. I think the only time he was really on the field was as a return guy. So, and he uh, fumbled the ball. And he fumbled the ball, which, I mean, you, maybe there was a plan to use him a little bit more. But, you know, he fumbled on, I think, the, the second kickoff of the game. Um, after uh, you know, then, and then returns with a, a and, and then, one. But, but I, I think you're just starting to see a hierarchy right now. With it's clearly Verdell who had 29 carries and Die who had 15 carries that are going to be the workhorse backs for this team. Felix and not, Felix, not Felix the didn't see the field. Cyrus Savivi Lakio didn't see the field. I mean, it was really two guys. That was pretty interesting to me. I mean, I, I think we all were joking and like, all right, they're within the five yard line. They're right. send out Cyrus, and then it's like, oh, that is CJ. I think, yeah, I think you're starting to see that this is going to be a kind of a two-man operation with the run game, and of course, I think there's situations that are going to change that. But you feel pretty confident with what you have there, and the offensive line. Credit to them because there were some some injuries. We we don't have any you know updates really on it. That's one of those things where you, it kind of gets lost in a big game. We didn't really, yep. no one asked. We talked about, about that Stanford too. Totally, yeah. When you get a game, there's so much that's going on at the end of the game. You kind of get lost in the shuffle is is health and. Both Penny Sewell, the starting left tackle, and Dallas Womack, the starting right guard, left the game at, at times um, with injury. Uh, at times they were playing with basically three starters and two reserves. Um, and there wasn't really a significant drop-off, which I think, again, is a testament to Mario Cristobal and kind of this group and kind of what they're capable of doing. I, I think that's a, it's a testament to um, where Oregon's offensive line is. And Matt, actually, Matt and I on the way over here uh, to the stadium today, we are talking, it's, it's kind of, I mean, Right now, it doesn't look like they're going to graduate. They're not set to graduate anybody. And they have a long list of yeah. reserves. they got a ton of dudes. This is a deep... And, and, and this is a position where they could probably take some hits. Obviously, Penny Sewell is probably a first-round talent down the line. Dallas Romack's really good. But they replaced him with Brady Ella, who's got, I think, 11 or 12 starts in his career, and J- uh, Jacob Capra, who has, I think, one start from last year against UCLA. And was, it was a pretty a tight uh, battle between he and Dallas Wormack. He's one of the first guys off the bench. Yeah, I mean, these are guys that are capable and ready to go, and hey. you saw that. you know. And, and they're and capable by throwing Throckmorton when Panay Sewell was sure. And they threw Throckmorton over on the left that, side, and it was seamless. That's a big weapon is the fact that Throckmorton can basically play every position on the line, and, and if a guy goes down, they can kind of fill him in, and, and they did rotate him. Um, Throughout the game because of injury, Throckmorton sounded like a straight up badass after yeah, after yeah. the after the football game because uh, he was speaking with the media and someone asked him kind of just his comfortability of, of playing multiple positions and and Cristobal has spoken highly of him ever since he's gotten here, uh, even when Cristobal was the offensive coordinator last season of just the versatility of Throckmorton and then today Throckmorton was was asked kind of just you know how has the comfort gone of, of having to switch positions and what's that like and he was flat out honest and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the exact quote in front of me but basically said I can play every position I know I can the only position I haven't played is left guard 
and I'm confident that I can play that position if need be. Uh, I think going into this football season, uh, Jake Hansen was viewed maybe as the top offensive lineman of this group. Um, but I, I – not as a negative towards Hansen. No, he hasn't been, he's been I, great. I, I think it's an indictment of how much imp- – Improvement some of these other guys have made. He's probably the best, the fourth best offensive lineman say, yeah, on this team now. He, he probably is behind the. We just Throckmorton's probably Lemieux number one. Shamu, Shamu. Uh, I like Shamu's nickname. Let's go with that. <laughs> Shane Lemieux, and then Shane, if he listens to this, I, I apologize. He's, a, he's uh, like Shamu. He's like a great white whale. Shane but. Lemieux would be my second best offensive lineman, and then Penae Sewell would be third. And I think that's why this team was able to win games like they did today. Because their offensive line is very, very good. And they've got guys behind the five that start. If injuries happen, we saw Capra coming in for Dallas Warmack. We saw Brady Aiello coming in uh, for Penny Sewell. There is literally no drop-off. No. I mean, some of Oregon's best drives came without those two guys on the field. When you think about Cristobal's culture, right? Mm-hmm. One of the first things we learned about him was the emphasis on the offseason program. Bring in a guy like Coach Fell from Georgia. It's obvious how that culture is playing a part now 100%. in these types of games. I mean, we, this game, I think, is the best example of Chris Ball's culture that he's implemented, that offseason program, the attention to detail, the discipline, especially the physicality. Well, And let's mention the physicality here. We haven't really spoken about what took place in that fourth quarter and in overtime defensively for Oregon. I mean, Oregon doesn't win this game if they don't force Washington to, to attempt a late field goal, which they miss, and it was a makeable kick. It's not like they forced him to kick a 58-yard field. It was a 38-yard field goal, and he, he, he missed it. He pushed it. Um, and then in, in overtime, they get the ball to, I think, the three-yard line. And yeah, can't it was put right it there. In yeah. And have to settle for a chip shot field goal, and that really opened the door. That was door a huge for, stand. Yeah, it was a huge stand, and that really opens the door for um, for Oregon to go out and there and, and, and to go win the game. And you even think about earlier in the game when fourth Washington went for it fourth down. I mean, they, the same thing happening at Stanford. Stanford had a fourth and one, and when's the last time we've been able to see an Oregon stop someone on fourth and one? Totally, yeah. To teams and, like Stanford and Washington and especially. Like, for as much flack Crystal Ball got against Stanford for going for it on that, what was it, second down or whatever? Second or third, and six. Yeah, yeah, whatever it was. Uh, Verdell fumbled. Chris Peterson, probably up in Seattle, is going to get a lot of flack from the media and from the fans for how Oregon, for how Washington executed that end game situation because there was 25 seconds left, running clock. UW had three touchdowns or three, two or three timeouts like left, and they left were to go in the game. The they were moving the ball. Yeah. Oregon's defense was gassed. They easily could have ran the ball one more time and, and got you know four or five more yards the way that they were able to execute and, and get the ball and just get a little bit closer. They kicked the field on, on third down, Yes, think, right? They were yes. very conservative, right? They yeah. were 100% conservative in that game. And so I don't think necessarily that that decision ended the game uh, or, or, you know, sealed it. But I think there's going to be some criticism that comes from Washington's coaching and, and, and how they executed their end of the game down the stretch. One of the things that you kind of, I guess, I don't know if we were really that critical I know some fans were immediately after the Stanford game, but Chris Ball has said, we are going to keep the foot on the gas. That's that's Oregon's M.O. And as an observer, you kind of say, like, you kind of understand that, and you, you kind of you can't hate on that. It, it, if that's what they're going to do, and they're going to tell you, we're going to keep our foot on the gas, and they do it, that's one coaching method that, you know what, hey, they went for it. They're the team that goes for two instead of just goes for the tie. That's on another note, you sort of think about Washington's perspective in this game. I mean, they lose 12 straight to the Ducks, and then they have two two successful 
somewhat successful seasons, and now very successful seasons. Yeah, very successful seasons, and now a deflating loss to the Ducks, which shouldn't. You know, Oregon wasn't supposed to be back this year. No. You know, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year for the most part. They had the talent, but not necessarily that the depth at the beginning of the season. Are you are you are you calling Oregon the new Texas? Are we having <laughs> a question? Is Oregon, is Oregon back? back? I posed the question on Twitter. Or, Oregon, I mean, what Oregon, do we think? Or, Oregon feels back, but let's see if they can go beat Washington State next week. I mean, that's oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, yeah. I, as of right now, I would say Oregon's back. When you when you take down a, someone like Washington, who's been the the king of the Pac-12 for the past two seasons. Um, I, I think it's pretty evident they are back, but obviously they got to take care of business. So, so, so we're doing this as kingdom battle, so yeah, right. conquer yeah, everyone else's yeah. kingdom. Um, let me. So, the, so before the game, I, I want to address the fact that I picked Washington to win, and the reason <laughs> I want to say why, and I want to say with the fact I, I want to give Oregon credit for for a couple of things here. I was critical of how they finished games. I thought they finished this game pretty dang well. Obviously, um, that drive Oregon had that they ended up punting could have gone a couple different ways, but Herbert lost yards on consecutive plays and pushed him out of field goal range. I don't know if they would have taken a field goal because Adam Stack struggled to, you know, he missed that kick pretty badly and I don't know what their confidence level is with him, but but they ended up making the plays to win and then I was I was very impressed with Dylan Mitchell and Jalen Red. I thought both those guys had big games. Dylan Mitchell continues to be one of the best receivers in the conference. I think Jalen Red said he thinks he's the best. Eight catches, 119 yards and a touchdown. That's three straight 100-yard games to open a Pac-12 play. And then on the other side, you know, Oregon's corners who've been maligned and probably deservingly so. I, I thought played really well. Yamadou Lenore set the tone early with an interception, I think, on the second play from scrimmage from Washington. And you look at Aaron Fuller, a guy who coming into the game, I think, was fourth in the conference in yards yes. and second in receptions. He has two catches for or two catches for 15 yards. The most yards they had to anybody was four for 79 at Drew Sample, who I believe is the tight end. So Oregon on the outside did a very, very good job. And they, they need to be, that is credit that needs to be given because we've talked about all season how much they've struggled. And these guys came to play and I think, you know, proved a lot of what their kind of ceiling looks like. And it's going to be a big test next week against Washington State, but you saw some really positive things. Yeah, you stole the exact topic that I was going to discuss. Boom. Well, look at that. Isn't that nice? I guess that's just from you and me working. You stole my question <laughs> earlier today and I had to pivot. Like, right before you asked the question I was going to ask and I had to figure out another question. So uh, going, a, going into this game, Aaron Fuller was second in the conference in receiving yards, 574. He had two touchdowns. By far the best receiver on on UW's team. Uh, Oregon shut him down, like you said. Dylan Mitchell was fourth in the conference with 442 yards. Listen to this stat about Dylan Mitchell's three conference games. I mean, this is a good year for a lot of guys. 29 receptions, 463 yards, and two touchdowns in his last three games. I mean, we were discussing going into the year if Oregon had a go-to receiver. We were discussing this going into the Stanford game. If Oregon had any kind of talent at the receiver position that they could lean on. Dylan Mitchell has destroyed those questions. He's obliterated <laughs> those questions. Pretty easy. Um, and I, I think that's like more than any of the returning wide receivers had in 2017. Probably. But, and, and we should mention that like he, I'm looking at the stats here and I, I didn't notice until now. There were two receivers that had catches in this game. I mean the other six catches were made by Breland tight had a couple ends and, tight ends and running back. Yeah I mean the three tight ends had six catches. Two wide receivers had 11 and then Travis Dye had one catch. I mean the passing game really was Dylan Mitchell, can he get open and do some stuff? And he did. And Jalen Red, who had a fabulous touchdown catch right before the end of the first half to tie it up and give Oregon a lot of momentum going into intermission. Um, but other than that, really nothing from the receivers. And, and, of course, you don't want to be too nitpicky after you won a big game. But you'd probably like to see guys like John Johnson and Brennan School make some plays. But uh, Dylan Mitchell and Jalen Red did enough for, for the group. I think one thing you're talking about shutting down Aaron Fuller a bit, um, the Huskies really only had a few big passing plays. 
And, and there were most of them came off of two scrambles of, from two Browning. Two of them to tight ends, which that was uh, Kalano Pelu was forced to uh, drop into coverage, and it's yeah. really hard. On to, a flea flicker, it's yeah, a tough situation. The flea flicker, and then the second one uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, he was asked to cover a 6'6 tight end. Very difficult thing for an outside linebacker to do. and he Especially did, when you're 5'11". Yeah, he did, he did what he needed to and just got beat by a good tight end and a good throw by Browning. Now... The Ty Jones play, Thomas Graham got beat on an, another broken play, and Ty Jones just sprinted out to the end zone, and Thomas Graham almost recovered. I mean, I don't mean to be the Debbie Downer here, but where was this against Stanford two weeks ago? Right. Three I think weeks ago, the right? secondary... It was there for the first The secondary right. was first as worrisome. Like, there are things they need to work on, but they, they've decided to start Javon Holland as a, a safety with Ugo Amati at free safety, with Ugo Amati even moving to just safety and... Javon Holland was just the single safety for a little bit. Um, so it it's going to be interesting to see how the Ducks progress against the secondary, especially next week no, with that, yeah. uh, that yeah, mid-shoe yeah. passing yeah, attack. Right. Percent. I mean, next week's going to be the real test. And, and that's also another concern I, I think I already have for next week is the Ducks had a little bit of trouble getting pressure on Browning and gave Browning a lot of time on certain plays. They, in the first half, they did a really good job. Second half, I would agree. Well, yeah, I think that comes. A lot of time. I think that stems from the fact that we had a couple. We saw a couple Duck players get hurt in the second half, and Jordan Scott was a guy that's dealing with with an injury, and he was. He's not off the edge, but he is arguably Oregon's most important defensive lineman because of the push and pass rush he generates and then, and then on top of that Drayton Colbert and his he's, his ejection for targeting which uh, you can tell me all I want by the letter of the law that was targeting uh, sure but that doesn't happen if Jake Browning doesn't turn around and go into the into the hit uh, and that's some a, justice there because the same exact thing happened to Herbert in the, in the yes. fourth quarter uh, well, and we'll discuss we can discuss that at Nazium for a later time but I think Oregon's D-line in the second half their lack of pressure probably came from the fact that look they only have so many guys defensively that they can trust and put in these types of situations. On the outside, it's Jalen Jelks, Justin Hollins, Lamar Winston, and that's about it. Maybe Adrian Jackson uh, when he bounces outside. And then D-line, you know, Drayton Kralberg is a huge piece for this defense. He doesn't start, but he's come on strong in the last few weeks. And his, his ejection, uh, I think, really put a wear on the depth of this defensive line that, that they had. By the third play of the game, they had already used... Uh, all of the, the main role players on that defensive line. I mean, Gary Baker got in on the second play. Drake Carlborough got in on the third play of the game. They were subbing in, going fast, and the the Oregon defensive line has an identity, and it's going to be interesting to see what they can do against Washington. I also, think, I also think Browning, though, his ability to scramble is way underrated. Way yeah. underrated. He, he gets out of situations that most quarterbacks can't get out of. I mean, I even mean, Justin Herbert and, and like we had s- struggles. Right, with that. And, and like we said, Washington's big plays came off of those those times where it looks like it was going to be a sack, that he was going to be brought down for a loss. He gets out of it and tosses it up. It's worth mentioning, we talked about how much more explosive we thought Oregon was in Washington. I think Washington had five, yards, five plays of 20 yards or more, and Oregon only had one for the game, which is wow. a pretty incredible stat given that Oregon was able to score uh, 30 points in this game. But oh, Oregon given, didn't have a ton of plays where they moved it down the field quickly. It was, it was, they were, the drives they had were benefited by turnovers, good returns, and then also um, some, some just kind of long drives. I think that drive they had to go uh, ahead in the second half, or maybe it was a tie, was a, it was to 
to tie, I think, was like a 15-play drive where they had to just muster a couple of fourth down and third down conversions. So it wasn't a game where Oregon, and even it's even pretty evident looking at the yards per carry from the running backs here, Verdell 3.8, Travis Dye 4.5. It wasn't like these were big chunk runs. I think right. they had one run of more than 10 yards for the entire game, but they were able to get it done just from a consistency basis. Yep, you posed a really funny and correct tweet. I think Oregon oh, I fans have been spoiled the last couple weeks here at Austin. Uh, you said if Oregon freshmen and, and if you're an Oregon freshman, your first two home games this season have been uh, Washington and Stanford, and every game at Austin is exactly like this, I promise. I, the last two games at Austin have been absolutely epic. I know the Stanford game didn't come out the way that Oregon fans wanted, but that atmosphere was unmatched by anything. I, I thought this one would beat it, and it didn't. But at the same time, this game was rabid. This game was awesome from a, a level of just talent and way it was played. This will be one of the best 10 games all of college football season, the 2018 season. I don't care if that's an early hot take for my well, end of the be, season. It I mean, might be one of Oregon's 10 best games of all time. I don't know about that. There's a slideshow idea for, for this week. <laughs> yeah, the 10 best Oregon games, and uh, just go through the history books. All the records are online. I can send you the link. Yeah, uh, I, I think so 80, the one big takeaway from before this game, though, was looking at the, like, the two deep and being like, NFL guy, NFL guy, yeah. NFL guy, NFL guy. I mean, the Huskies have probably 9 to 10 NFL draft picks on their roster right now. And like five more in the secondary. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the entire secondary. But then the Ducks, a lot of the guys are starting to look like, oh, I mean, aside from Justin Herbert, there are guys that are making a case. They're still young. There's still time. But Justin Herbert has not made a case to be an NFL player. Hey, John Elway. He's El- terrible. John, John Elway. 18 for 32. John Elway stood up uh, when the targeting happened, and the look on his face was like, don't you dare touch a potential future quarterback. <laughs> Denver Broncos need a quarterback badly. Um, well, let, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the bigger picture. And first off, I'm curious where you guys think Oregon is going to be ranked on I think the rankings. Are yeah, we're, we're recording let's, this right let's, after the game is over let's Saturday. Start, so, yeah, this is preemptive. You let's listen start to this, this out with uh, the teams that have lost today above Oregon. Or above yeah, Oregon is 17. Miami just lost to Virginia. That's a, oh, wow, that's a rough loss. Uh, Iowa State is about to knock off number six, West Virginia. Uh, it's 30 to 14 with two minutes left. So I'm going to assume that happens. I'd, I'd be very shocked. Uh, Michigan, 31. Wisconsin, 7 at the time. So one of those teams is dropping. So one of those teams is dropping. Um, yeah. Penn State, Penn State lost. Penn State lost. Washington Washington State. lost. I mean, Oregon could conceivably move up like And then other teams spots. struggle. I mean, Baylor uh, almost got Texas, number 9 Texas. Memphis almost got number 10 UCF. So the Ducks could be right on the outside of that top 10 with a, a potential top 25 matchup. Washington State, I think, is like number 27 in the AP poll, and they're on a bye week, so maybe they get some favorable votes. I think a couple voters will probably vote the Ducks ahead of a couple teams that won, but knowing how polls are always traditionally like, okay, did this team win? Yep, all right, move them up a spot. Did this team win? Move them up a spot. It really doesn't matter how the outcome plays out. Um, So I I think they're probably going to end up somewhere in like the 11 or 12 range, kind of, like you said, just outside the top top 10 10. team. And that's what the Ducks did. I mean, Vanderbilt, oh, they're an SEC team. That I'll be shocked if they're in the top ten. Here's a question. Is, is or it, if they're nine or better. Is, they I might, think they get, might 10. get ten. I think eleven is the 
the spot. We'll see. Is it in play for Washington to be rated ahead of Oregon? No. No. Some voters will, though. I guarantee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what the, I'm thinking I, right I now. I doubt that. The Ducks now, two top ten teams, three top ten teams are going to fall. Penn State, West Virginia, and Washington. Washington. The and Ducks. And Georgia, by the way. Oh, but the, the Georgia Georgia is going to drop like two spots. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to go, go like number four. six. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the Ducks have a real shot of being number ten. I think number eleven feels right, but they have a real shot. I think they're going to be number ten tomorrow. I'll right. say I'll say eleven. Well, my God, Alec. <laughs> uh, a little bit of breaking news. I mean, we'll we'll get to it more. Kayvon Thibodeau, the number one. Has he committed? No, he hasn't. Uh, he has just announced I will be moving up my commitment date. So Ooh. we could speculate about that. He is yeah, currently he, on campus. He shot me a message right after the game was over. Said best experience, hands down, uh, best game he's ever seen. Uh, that, that speaks pretty highly. I mean, we'll, I'm not quite sure how he's one of those guys that you know every visit is the best visit, and it's kind of whoever has him last. That being said, Florida State and Alabama have already had him on campus for official visits. So if he's going to wrap things up soon, Alabama and Florida State were kind of the two big picture schools, yeah. two leaders uh, in the clubhouse. Maybe Oregon can can position themselves where it's an even split now between the three teams, or maybe a, they're even ahead. As of right now, he, the other top five are Florida and USC. Yeah, He hasn't taken visits to those. He tried. He said he was going to take all five visits. Originally, I inquired, got some more, did some info a little bit after the game. Um, Florida kind of Florida's kind of running last. USC running fourth. Oregon running third. Um, and the other two before this visit. Right. This visit could have changed a lot, especially seeing where Florida State is, where Alabama is right now. I think those are two very different scenarios, and Oregon is kind of that up-and-coming, you-can-make-a-name-for-yourself. And with um, Jalen Jelks leaving, there's going to be there's gonna no, be some it, competition for that uh, defensive end outside linebacker Matt, spot. Matt and I talked about that, whether it's outside linebacker replacing Justin Hollins or defensive end replacing Jalen Jelks. Kayvon Thibodeau would be a perfect fit for either spot, and he would basically walk into a perfect starting situation if he were to pick Oregon. And it's worth mentioning, I did post a video you can check it out on my twitter page of him after the game hugging some Oregon players and celebrating and it was it was pretty clear he was enjoying himself you know it's one thing to say it was a great visit but it, it's you see it in person and then again if you, you can check out the videos on my twitter page um but he was clearly having a, a fantastic time and was really enjoying the moment as you'd expect someone to do after you sat and watched a football game like that and, and kind of were on a visit for the school that came out on top i, I think it's just it Getting a little more into the other visitors and other recruits, I one of the commits you can check it out on the site. Literally, just he after the game, I like I reach out to some of the commits for reactions. It was just like sco with like twenty O's and other uh, players. Uh, Joey Capra uh, said that he he's really excited for the win, really proud of his brother, and can't wait to play alongside him next year. Uh, the Ducks have a ton of com- like they have twenty two commits. Just got a commit earlier this week from Jaden Casey, Jared Casey. Sorry, um, Josh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> hey, Jaden Casey's Mike Pittman's supporter. <laughs> no one's gonna get that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they they have the momentum right now and only have three or four spots. But I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is a guy you create an extra spot for. Is it time for hot takes? Yeah, let's do hot takes. So going you in, have you said yours? No, I've got another one. I, I, I will, so many hot takes. I, we're in radio business now. Uh, your, your mind is just everything's a hot take. Everything is now a hot take in my mind. So, 
I will go last because I have to think of one. <laughs> <That's not fair. laughs> you were radioing. You had all the you're, you're the, guy, you're the guy at the restaurant who says, "Oh, we're ready to order," and, and then, like, but I'll, I'll go last. last. But I'll go last. Uh, my hot take because I'm, I'm running the I'm show, also, so I get to I'm dictate. I'm also in radio, and I'm just always developing hot takes. I I, I think Oregon's going to run the table, um, and, and I I think I think next week's game is, is probably the most likely loss on the schedule. I think at Utah is probably number two. Other than that, honestly, the schedule is very favorable from here. Um, if you look at it, they they host two teams in UCLA and Arizona State that I don't think have really shown that they're able to compete at a level like this. Like UCLA really put it on a really bad Cal team today, a team that was somehow ranked when Oregon played them, which I still don't understand. They might not win a Pac-12 game this year. But I, I think Oregon is in a position here where if they beat Washington State, the schedule is very favorable. Everyone stays healthy. And that puts them in a position because I think if they run the table, I think Stanford's going to lose at least one more game. If they win the table, Oregon wins the North. And looking how bad the Pac-12 South is, uh, I think Oregon could very well be the top team in the Pac-12 and has a chance, a chance to maybe sneak into the playoff if stuff gets really wonky. Of course, that's a very much well, a hot take. Well, Georgia losing today helps that right. I mean, scenario. There, Obviously, it's a ways away. There's a ton of teams that are that are playing each other and struggling a little bit yeah, There's today. a ton of teams right. that are going to play each other. So I think Oregon has a very favorable schedule. There's no team on the schedule that's going to be a top-10 caliber team until they get possibly to a Pac-12 championship game. And even that, if that's Colorado, I'm not sure they get there. If that's like USC, they're certainly not going to be a top-10 team. So I think Oregon's played the most challenging part of its schedule. Uh, Washington State next week's tough, but I think it's a very winnable stretch for them. My hot take, uh, I don't know if this is hot enough, but Mark Cristobal, AP National Coach of the Year. That's pretty hot. I, I, I like think, that. I, like I that think a lot, the actually. expectation, you look, I think it's reasonable. you look at where everyone thought Oregon would be, Everyone's like, hey, nine wins is a fantastic year. If they're a nine-win team... It's kind of a disappointment. That's a disappointment now. And, I mean, even, like, you look at all the national pundits before this season. You looked at, they like, even our own company, CBS, who owns 247 Sports, did a head coach ranking. Mario Cristobal was, like, 80th, like, 85th, I think he was. And that's, not, him, that's not that unfair, giving him they, very little coaching Yeah, they, they gave him a wait and see. They said, right. hey... It didn't end well at his last FIU. Didn't end well there. Let's see what he can do. We'll wait and see. Well, he's obviously done something, um, to use a phrase. <laughs> so Nice. I see what you did there. I like that. Uh, so, my hot take. I thought you were going last. Alec then gets to go first. Oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just serious. Go ahead, Alex. Go ahead. Take it over. I'll say, I mean, Justin Herbert coming into this game, Everyone, what everyone was saying was that he needed – a marquee win under yeah. his belt. And I think this will be the game people will look back on and say this is the reason why he was invited to New York City for as a Heisman candidate. Okay. That's that was my, my hot take. That was my hot take that's a few weeks ago that he was going to be a Heisman. For a minute there, I thought you were going to say this was his signature moment. I was like, that's not really a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is Herbert's signature this moment. This is radio. we got to tease it a little further. Just going back to this being Herbert's signature moment, I mean – I was sitting in the press box, and I was like, okay, Justin Herbert, sure you can do. I mean, aside from he did have that one really nice third down pass on um, third and 11. Yeah. Which is a huge moment, but this kind of was a team moment. Which, it, yeah, this it was. was. 100%. Yeah. Um, I agree with that about – Herbert won, Herbert helped lead this team, but – Well, he this, didn't go there off. There were so many things that, that had to happen for yeah, other guys to, to play does, for this team to win. Does Justin Herbert need – I think the fans really wanted to see – a Heisman moment. Does he need one now? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, to win the Heisman. To, to I don't, I don't Heisman, Heisman or to just be that? Like, to get into the top three, he will because Tua Tagovailoa is going to be number one. 
Kyler Dwayne, Murray at, at, at Oklahoma will probably Haskins be number two, and then Dwayne Haskins at, career at West Virginia. They just yeah, lost. Yeah, I mean, they, they just lost. But Haskins, Tua, and Murray, those are the three. So if Justin's going to get into New York, he's probably got to get into the top three uh, to get there because – or Oregon's going to have to just absolutely obliterate everybody uh, moving forward, in my mind, for him to get to New York. What's your hot take, man? My hot take is uh, currently going into this game – uh, LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado leads the conference in, Great pronunciation. in receiving yards with 708. They have a bye week this week. Uh, Dylan Mitchell is probably now going to find himself. He's fourth going into the game with 442. He's, he's now got uh, 561. I think he leads the conference in receiving yards by the end of the year. By the end of the year. I think he catches Strong Chenault. And I, I think he has a, another big game next week. Uh, against Washington State, I, I think he's going to have a huge game against teams like uh, UCLA, uh, Arizona, Oregon State. He is, Oregon's got such a weak back schedule. Obviously, the Utah game looks a lot tougher uh, today than it did two weeks ago when they went since they've gone and, and beaten Stanford on the road by a lot. They blew out Arizona on Friday night. That game's going to be the you know very difficult game. Washington State's going to be a very difficult game next week. But outside of that, you got UCLA, who's garbage. Arizona State is, is average. Uh, and then you've got Oregon State, who's bad. Arizona, Arizona who's garbage. You know, Throw out the garbage word. 100%. I mean, this is hot take time. He can use garbage. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to have an opportunity to, to go for, I, I think, lead the conference. The only thing that's going to hold him back. Is there a dumpster fire team left? <laughs> I, mean, I think Arizona. I think Arizona's a dumpster fire. UCLA's getting better every week, and Chip's doing his thing. I mean, they just they just beat Cal. By like so. 30. Yeah. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the podcast. We really appreciate you watching or listening to us on the, every week. Break down these wins, break down these losses, discuss things, talk things through. Uh, listen to us on iTunes or whatever podcast uh, app you like to use to listen to us. Just search for the Duck Territory Podcast. We're on there. We do two a week. Uh, basketball season's quickly approaching, and we'll do three a week pretty soon when, when basketball starts. Uh, we like to split them up a little bit. But uh, please stick with us throughout the year as we cover this game. And like we said, uh, we go to every game. We're going to be at every game. Uh, Eric... Alec and I will be at the Washington game. Kevin's going to be manning the fort at home as we come home and travel to that football game. So stick with us throughout the weekend. We've got a ton of stuff still to come up on the site for DuckTerritory.com, and then we go right into the next game, Week 7 uh, for the Oregon Duck football program, uh, playing at Washington State, which potentially could be game day. Uh, and if that, if that comes out, we'll have to certainly you know hype that one up even more. So, Thanks for listening. Go to duckterritory.com for more, and we'll talk to you soon.